Welcome to Hospitality Forward, a podcast where hospitality and travel professionals learn how to earn the media spotlight. My name is Hannah Lee. I am president of Hannah Lee Communications, an award-winning public relations agency in New York City. And I'm Michael Ann Stendig, a food and beverage writer and editor in chief at Hannah Lee Communications. As a PR professional myself, and Michael as a journalist, we understand the power of media coverage and its impact on someone's career and business. That's why our agency created this podcast to give back to our beloved hospitality and travel community that's facing incredible challenges during this time. Each week, we interview top journalists who share their insights and tips on how to get featured in their stories. In our first episode, we are so happy to welcome Robert Simonson, a leading cocktail and bar writer for the New York Times, Invive, Punch, and more. He's also an established author of four books, The Old Fashioned, A Proper Drink, Three Ingredient Cocktails, and most recently, The Martini Cocktail. And during our chat, Robert will be sharing some big news about his upcoming book, So hi, Robert. Hi. Thanks so much for joining us. And great to have you on the show. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to be talking to you. We uh, we call our show uh, Hospitality Forward because we feel very optimistic about our industry. Ah. So what are you seeing or you know, what innovations are, are catching your eye that you think bars should adopt to take hospitality forward? Well, it's obviously a brave new world. It's completely different than it was before. There are a few things uh, that I'd like to see continue after and if this all gets back to normal. Uh, the, the number one thing here in New York State is uh, the to-go cocktails, of course. In the past, you could only get, uh, I believe, just beer to go. You could take it away in growlers from bars. But they allowed bars to do wine and spirits and cocktails. And so this is a whole brave new world. And um, I think to a large extent, uh, the people like it. The population likes it. I mean, we all love to go to bars. We all love to talk to our favorite bartender. But uh, the idea of bringing those, you know, really great drinks back home um, is, is nice as well, because maybe you, maybe you want to do that some night. You want to not make cocktails at home. You'd just rather go to your favorite bar around the corner and bring them home with you. And uh, and I kind of like how the bars have turned into bottle shops as well. Another way that they've kept themselves afloat financially is just basically by selling off their stock. And so you instead of going to the liquor store or the wine store, you could buy a bottle of wine and uh, a bottle of spirits from the bar. I mean, it's just nice to have these new options. And I, d- I don't see why why they shouldn't continue. Agreed. Agreed. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think Iowa just passed a law saying that cocktails to go will be permanent. Permanent. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's been different in every state. I mean, some states were very slow to do this. It all kind of depended on the governor of the particular state. Um, so uh, it's it's interesting. We could end up at the end of this sort of like we ended up at the end of Prohibition with every state having a bunch of different laws that don't correspond to anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, but I hope, um, you know, Cuomo's been hot and cold on this. It was Cuomo's idea in the first place. But then uh, when people started congregating on the sidewalks too much, 
he started getting alarmed I and, know. you know, he threatened to take it away. But he is a politician and I think he'll, you know, listen to like what the people want, what the voters want. And I, I hope that he does. I know there are some bills up in Albany and uh, uh, to extend this um, there. I don't think there are any bills to make it permanent. But uh, there was one bill to extend it for two years. So hopefully that will happen. Yeah. I mean, we've been ordering uh, cocktails from Middle Branch. Uh-huh. And the cocktail, the, you know, just perfect Negroni. It's as simple as that. But it's interesting how that one simple drink can transport you to a completely different world. And, you know, it's like having a, that luxurious experience, you know, at our bars or our restaurants. So I think... Cocktail to go should stay. Yeah. And I haven't seen you and your wife, Mary Kate, going almost every bar and trying all these cocktails to go on your social media. So, which cocktails to go really stand out? Yeah, we have tried to uh, try every, well, everyone that we know who's doing this, you know, and kind of like spread the love around and be fair because they're all doing it to make money and they're trying to keep some staff. Um, in employ and, you know, and, and uh, sort of weather this storm out. So we've just spread it around a little bit here, a little bit there. Uh, mainly we're do- dealing with Brooklyn. Um, we, we, we do have a car, but, you know, for the first two or three months of this pandemic, we we're trying to be responsible. So we weren't like driving into the city and, you know, creating problems for people. We we're doing Brooklyn. And then after a little while, we started to drive in. And when we would drive in, we'd drive straight to the bar. We'd pick up the drinks and then we'd come back. Um, the amazing thing about this development is the high level of quality. You'd think there would be some kind of fall off. Like if you take the cocktail and you make it and then you put it in a bottle and then you and then it sits there for like a half hour or an hour, an hour and a half until you get home and drink it. You would think, well, this can't be as good as the cocktail as they make in the bar. But to a large extent, I found that most of them are just the same. Um, these people know how to what they're doing. And so mm-hmm. they also seem to know how to do takeaway cocktails. So you asked my favorites um, It's hard to say. Dante, I, I, we did once, and that was fantastic. Uh, I think Bargota would have to get the prize for presentation. And, and another interesting development of this is that they've had to figure out, okay, we're doing to-go cocktails. How do we do that? And some of them would put it in ball jars, uh, like Attaboy would put it in coffee cups. Uh, but they've started to get fancier and fancier. And so, like, they get these beautiful little bottles, and they're making these beautiful little labels. And so you're just, like, given this wonderful little product, you know, that's just a pleasure to behold and a pleasure to look at. And you take it home, and um, it's interesting. It's forced everyone to become creative in a, a new way. Oh, another favorite is uh, Hunky Dory out in uh, Crown Heights. Claire Sprouse, the owner of that, has been a real leader during this crisis, yeah, and she's, she's doing a good job with the uh, the drinks and with the food. She's had some pop-ups. It's hard to imagine that there are actually still pop-up cocktail mm-hmm. bars in this troubling time, but she has done she has done it. And also, she's uh, on the cutting edge of safety. She's incredibly safe. She takes she takes every precaution. So clearly, the bar industry is facing a crisis. Yeah. And, you know, it's been heartbreaking to see all these bars shuttering with many notable ones, you know, not reopening. So what do you envision at this point as the future of the bar experience in New York City? Are we going to go back to the pre-COVID era or is it going to be 
a new kinds of hospitality? Well, I think I can't help but be different. Um, I don't think if we do indeed get back to the way it was, it's not going to be for a while. It uh, might be a year. It might be two years. Who knows? I mean, people talk about this coming in waves. And besides that, uh, this whole crisis has also been a kind of an opportunity. I think every bar and restaurant is looking at their business model and how they run things how they work with their staff, how they communicate with their customers, how they serve. Uh, uh, everything's going to be reformulated. Everything's going to be reconsidered. So I, I, I don't think any of us has a good enough crystal ball to figure that out. Um, on the good side, I've actually been surprised. I expected more closures at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the beginning, there were some pretty notable ones, but... A lot of these places seem to be hanging on. Right. And it's like, bit. I don't know if they're hanging by, by like the skin of their teeth or if it's just a week by week thing or, or if they have good. I know some of these bars have good relationships with their landlords. I know some of them got some of the uh, government money that was offered to small businesses. Mm-hmm. And I know some of them have actually made a really good go at this to go stuff. Right. There is a bar in uh, Crown Heights. I think it's called Chevella and uh, Phil Ward, a well-known bartender Mm -hmm. is working there and they pivoted to takeout and delivery. And it's, uh, it's mainly, um, uh, they do mainly like agave cocktails, a lot of margaritas. Naturally. (laughs) Yeah. And, and and when I, I talked to him about a month ago and he told me that they had uh, done $10,000 on a recent weekend. And so that's not a small amount of money. It gives you hope. Yeah. Not everyone is is figuring out how to do this correctly or economically. I know a lot of people are struggling. It's going to be interesting. I I think, uh, well, one big um, change that we all know of, and this could happen to other bars, is uh, the model that Fort Defiance is following. Mm -hmm, Fort Defiance is a bar in Red Hook, lovely cocktail bar and restaurant run by Sinjin Frizzell. And he turned his bar into a grocery store, into a CSA. So all the goods that he would have normally gotten in and served uh, on the table, both as cocktails and as food, he's just selling them, you know, to the people. And he apparently likes it. And he's decided that that's that's a sure bet in the future. So he's he's, he's in the grocery store business now. Yeah. I mean, I think it's important for business owners to pivot, Mm -hmm. you know, best they can during this tough time. And I think Shinjin's, you know, decision represents how, you know, fast his thinking and really try to make it work. Yeah, I kind of, I mean, I've always trusted, his instincts have always been good. He's always Mm -hmm. been kind of ahead of the curve on like every new innovation. So some people might do that. Um, I think uh, and the, the other big innovation which has come along with phase two is like everybody's doing outdoor outdoor dining, outdoor drinking. So, so like all over the city, just springing up like mushrooms are these little sidewalk seating enclosures. Uh, it looks just like kind of a, a big planting, like we're all potted plants and we're like sitting in, in, mm. inside of these, these wooden uh, fences. Um, and that's kind of cool. You walk down the street and you see mm-hmm. it all. I, I have been holding off on that because I think it's an unknown world. We really don't know mm-hmm. whether it's safe or not. But yeah. if it does prove to be safe, 
I've, everyone, everyone likes sidewalk seating. Everyone has always liked that, but only certain places mm. in New York has gotten a license to do that. And it would be nice to see it to be easier for anybody who wants to do it. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So Robert, let's talk about writing. So what do you like most about writing about cocktails and bars? Um, I like the ritual. Um, there's a lot of ritual in uh, making drinks and drinking drinks. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, all the, the, the shaking, the panache, uh, the toast, all that kind of stuff. Um, I like the sense of uh, community that you find in bars. Bars can't help but attract uh, interesting personalities. So it's very easy to write about these people because they're not boring. Uh, the owners or the bartenders or even the bar flies for that matter. Um, and so unlike other areas, I once wrote about wine for a short period of time. It's, it's never a problem finding things to write about. Uh, so, and that's always helpful, you know, as a journalist, you know, why should you have to struggle? You might as well be in a field where you can find good stories all the time. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So you write for the New York times and punch and others. Mm -hmm. So how do you approach writing for the New York times versus punch? Well, the Times, you know, is the the paper of record. So um, in order for it to fall into the pages of the Times, it has to be an important enough story. Um, If it's a breaking news story, it has to be big news. Um, And uh, I mean, and if it's about a uh, new personality, a new bartender, a new bar, you know, they there has to be a reason for that. You know, that has to be some kind of. Uh, moment or importance about that new opening or that new person who has emerged. Whereas other uh, places, other publications and other sites, you know, they might be able to write about any old trend that comes along. You know, if there are three incidents, it's a trend. Um, And so you can write about it. Or they might write about something more niche like a publication like Punch. I mean, they're dedicated to drinking and, and spirits, you know, uh, so anything having to do with that subject is potentially a story. Like if the, I don't know, if somebody is, everybody's uh, drinking uh, avocado liqueur all of a sudden. Um, it's just like, yeah, let's write about that. But the Times might say, you know, who cares? <laughs> it's like, it's not a big enough story. So um, you have to uh, think in a kind of a, a broader uh, vision because um, all the people that would read uh, like Imbibe magazine, They're already interested in drinks. They're already interested in wine and beer and cocktails and spirits. You don't have to convince them. Everybody who reads the New York Times, they read it from like all over the world and they're interested in all kinds of things. And you better have a good reason why they should read your article. Makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. So in Punch, you profiled like more like older Barbaran, like, you know, Jim Gallagher or like a Tara Wright. Oh, yeah. It's so refreshing to see like a 70-something bartenders are still rocking and, and so passionate for what they do. And it's lovely to see these type of stories. So how do you find them? So you're talking about the column about the old guard bartenders. Yes. So I think it was a couple years ago. Um, in general, in Punch, we tend to interview and profile the young hotshot bartenders or in their 20s or early 30s and and working at cocktail bars. And we realized, you know, that is a very small segment of the bartending community. And the other kinds of bartenders, the journeyman bartenders who who work in the regular restaurants and in the steakhouses and the pubs, you know, they weren't getting any attention, you know, and and they have 
something to say. They have some wisdom to impart. And it's probably wisdom that's very different from the kind you're going to get uh, from a bartender at Death and Company or PDT. And so they gave me that column. They said, I, I forget if they suggested it or I suggested it. I think they may have. And I was I was the um, the natural choice for that because, you know, I'm the oldest person who writes for them. <laughs> so, uh, you know, old journalists talking to old bartenders, it works. So where do I find them? Uh, I like, as you know, I like to go to old restaurants, you know, the old steakhouses and places that have been in New York for a long, long time. And so I already sort of knew some of them. And once you know a few of them, it's just like pulling on a string. You just ask them, well, who else? And they all know each other. You know how young cocktail bars, bartenders all know each other and they communicate? Yes. These old mm -hmm. school bartenders all know each other too. They're, that's what I found out quickly. Like everybody who is like a lifer bartender who is 55 years old or more, they know all the other ones. And and they drink at their at each other's places. They they, they oh. kind of it's like a it's like a different sort of circle. I've been wanting to actually just write about this. It's an alternate universe. It's like a, mm. it's like a parallel bartender universe. And um, these guys are nice. I mean, it's it's very different. They don't really know how to make fancy cocktails or anything like that. <laughs> they can make martini. Mm. They can make Manhattan. They can pour beer. They can pour a perfect Guinness. Uh, they could pour a glass of white wine, but. You know, it's a different skill set. With them, it's more mm -hmm. about uh, knowing your customers and developing a rapport so that they come back. That's right. Yeah, they, they really understand hospitality. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Then they they know that most of their customers, at least in the places where they work, uh, they're less interested, you know, in whether they're getting, like, the perfect daiquiri and, and then in whether they're welcomed and they're treated nice. And the bartender remembers, oh, yeah, you like uh, whatever – you know, Miller High Life. So here you go. So you're you're very prolific in your writing and you're always, you know, finding these story ideas. How how do they come to you? How do you find them? How do you find the sources for them? So uh, it's feast or famine. Sometimes you will have no trouble coming up with ideas and they just come one after another. And uh, sometimes it's really hard, you know, and you can't think of anything new and there's just nothing new on the horizon. So I don't know. You keep your ear to the ground. You just see what's going on. You always, you always, you know, scanning menus, uh, scanning announcements on social media. You know, seeing like what's new. I mean, like you, I get tons of emails every single day telling me, you know, it's like we're debuting our spring menu, or here's a, a new new scotch that's rolling out, and and stuff like that. And you just like put two and two together. Right now, it's a very difficult time because. I'm sure other journalists are experiencing this in, in the food and drink world, but it's really no, hard to know what to write about because it's everything's just turned upside down. You're not, I mean, you can't write about the usual thing. You can't like write about trend stories because it seems, it seems mm -hmm. frivolous, you know, to do exactly. about that. You can't, you obviously can't write about new openings because there are no new openings. There's no openings. <laughs> and uh, so it's, it's actually closer to news than it usually is, um, actual news, because things are changing and it's, it's, it's a new um, landscape every week, it seems. You know, we noticed that there are some bartenders and bar owners out there who get a lot of love and visibility, you know, but let's say some of our listeners out there, you know, haven't really been on the radar. 
How would they break into that? How would they get your attention and get you to write about them, hopefully? I've been in this business for a while, and so I've got my feelers out, and I know a lot of people. And if something's happening, the news gets to me one way or another. Obviously, you can um, hire a publicist. And uh, there are a few good, there are yes. a few good ones out there, like you, Hannah, um, oh, and you. Uh, and that's a very um, uh, direct way to get attention because good publicists and journalists they have relationships, longstanding relationships. Um, I, I'm I'm receptive to just uh, direct contact. I, I don't mind that if you find my email or if you follow me on Instagram, you send me a direct message saying I'm opening a bar next week. You know. I'll listen. You know, I may not write about it, but I'll listen. Right. You know, I mean, a lot of people blow off emails. I, I don't I don't do that. I don't I don't like that. Um, what with all um, the protests and the Black Lives Matters things that have been happening, it's become uh, more important and urgent, I think, to give coverage to a more uh, diverse cast of people in our industry. I think I think we all have to strive to do better in that area. I just finished a story about a black-owned distillery in uh, Minneapolis. That was lovely. Oh, thank you. That um, great story. They're great leaders in their neighborhood. They've suffered through everything. They had to close their distillery. They they made uh, hand sanitizer like so many others, and then their distillery burned, and then the guy's house burned. And but they turned around and they're helping the community and opening a food bank. So stories like that, I think. Um, I think there's a lot of room right now to find inspiring and inclusive stories. Hopefully that'll be one of the silver linings of this whole situation. Yeah, I think as we've all gone through this period of turbulent time the past four months, it's all very difficult and very challenging. But I think if you look closely, there are silver linings, you know, things that have happened because of this. I mean, for instance, the pandemic has caused us all to slow down and figure and it's let us examine our lives and figure out what we like and what we don't like. And I think it's probably the same with bars. You know, they're given a chance like, well, uh, this has been forced upon us and we can rethink our business Mm -hmm. and we can rethink what we want to do. And uh, there, there are a lot of, you know, hidden, I don't know, advantages. It's weird to say that about such a troubling time, but um, there's good and bad in everything. True. Very true. So, we should talk about your books, and obviously you've written four amazing books. Mm-hmm. And in each book, you profiled the bartenders and featured a lot of bartenders' recipes. Yes, yeah. How do you choose bartenders to be featured in the book? Well, um, it depends on the topic of the book. Mm-hmm. Like I wrote one book about the old-fashioned, and I wrote one book about the martini. And so then, you know, when I think about you know, who do I want to talk to and who do I want to feature – you start thinking about bartenders who are very serious and about the martini or the old fashioned or good at it or have variations. Um, and so you, you probably have an idea of those already. And, um, and then you go out and search and find one. I'm working on a book right now that will come out next year about um, oh. agave spirits. And it's, it's all tequila and mezcal cocktails. Amazing. All the thing we love. Very timely. Yeah. But, uh, you know, as well as I do, that when you think of agave spirits, certain bartenders pop into your mind. Absolutely. Because no the bartenders who love these spirits are obsessed with them and they work with mm-hmm. them constantly. So I already knew who I could turn to. 
And then, you know, you find others that are, are more surprising and more expected. And so I, I try to spread it around a bit because I, I don't want to use the same bartenders over and over again in the books. Mm-hmm. I, I made a very concerted effort with this new book to get recipes from people who were unsung and underserved and, you know, and, and deserve to, you know, have a recipe in a, in a cocktail book. So I'll, I guess the question was, how do you, I don't know. It's not really a formula of getting into the book. Uh, yeah. It's, I just reach out to them. Okay, sounds good. And looking forward to your new book. Yeah, can't wait to read yeah, it. Yeah, well, I, I, haven't, I haven't told anybody about it. So this is a scoop for you guys. Scoop. Yeah. Breaking news. <laughs> okay, breaking news. Love it. It's All the right. same publisher, 10 Speed Press? It would be 10 Speed Press. It'll be next May. And it's got the very simple title, Mezcal and Tequila Cocktails. That's it. Tell you it so like it is. So easy to remember. <laughs> it's perfect. Okay, so Robert, so on each show, we ask our listeners to send in some questions. Oh, so the listener is Dave Oz, who, as you know, is uh, the owner and operator of Bathtub Gin and the 18th Room in Chelsea. And he'd like to know if you think more bars will embrace sustainability post-COVID. I think they will, but I think they will in small, selective ways. Um, I, I think there's been an effort over the past three or four years to bring sustainability into the bar world, but it's a very difficult proposition because bars are very wasteful places. There's a lot of waste every day, and I don't know if you can eliminate it all, but if you can eliminate some of it, you know, that's a step in the right direction. So I think so. I think more will, and I certainly hope they will. I wish we can talk to you much longer. But well, it's nice to see you finally. You know, it's like no, good to finally, see you. I, I'm happy to see anybody. <laughs> I know, but I feel like well, I always see you every day on social media. But actually, it's nice to see you on screen. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. I think it's time for a martini. Oh yes, that's what I'm going to have. It's either that or an old fashioned. Maybe I'll have both. I will have a both. Yeah. Have a martini and then an old fashioned. As a nightcap, exactly. There you go. Great. Well, thank you so much, Robert, and we'll see you soon. Okay. Ciao. All right. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed our spirit conversation with Robert. And if you have a newsworthy story to share, reach out to Robert and mention that you heard him on our podcast. But just remember, his advice and do's and don'ts. And if you're a cocktail fan, pick up a copy of Robert's The Martini Cocktail, which I find indispensable. If you enjoyed our show, please subscribe, share it with your friends, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Stay tuned for our next episode, where you will hear Jeff Gordonair from Esquire magazine. Jeff will reveal his plans for the 2020 Best Restaurants in America issue and what it takes to get featured in the magazine. See you next week.